Hi folks, welcome back. It's um, another episode of Culloden's Home Bible Study. Uh, the School of Christ, John chapter 15 this time. We're looking at the Upper Room Discourse of the Lord. And I've entitled the study, The Vine, a lesson on fruitfulness. It's dark outside, very winterly. And it seems appropriate because you'll remember that it was dark outside. It was night time uh, when the Lord Jesus was giving these words. And in fact, uh, if you look at the last verse of chapter 14, um, just before we get into the, the, the chapter itself, uh, you'll notice that it finishes like this. The Lord's speaking and he says, But the, the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, so I do. And then he says, Arise, let us go from here. And some people have noticed this, um, that we're moving out of the warmth of the immediate presence around, as it were, the, the bread and cup around the Lord in the upper room and we're moving out now uh, it would seem chapter 15, 16 uh, and 17 uh, towards the garden of Gethsemane you see they're going out into a world that's dark uh, they have the promises of chapter 14 they've got the, the, the wonderful truths, the symbols of chapter 13 the, the one who bent down and he washed their feet and so on but now we're moving out into the fact that they're going to have to live in a dark, cold, hostile world. And really that is the problem, you know. Um, for many of us, we, we don't mind it when we're just sitting around enjoying the Word of God together, enjoying Christian fellowship together. The difficulty is when we're living day by day in a dark world. Uh, and so the Lord gives us advice here, gives us a teaching here that helps us to do just that in a way that honours him. And, and, and also it brings out the fact that yes we've been left here. Uh, we have the promises of chapter 14. Um, the, the promise of his coming again for us. The promise of the Holy Spirit. The comforter to indwell us. The promise of his peace that he leaves with us. We thought about all that in the last session. But. Now we've got to live in the good of that. Now we're go going to have to go into a world and depend on the Lord in everyday life. The fact is that now we're united to the Lord. Of course, originally this was written to the, or, or was spoken to the uh, 11 disciples, the 11 apostles. But by extension, we can take the truth of it for ourselves now. And so as we read down this section, it's all about the vine and abiding in the vine and all those kind of things. We've got to remember that really... There's a lesson in this for us. How are we going to live in this world in which God has placed us? Are we going to live in a way that honours him? Are we going to live in a way where we're dependent on the Lord Jesus? Um, are we going to be fruitful? Because that's really what we're coming on to. A lesson in fruitfulness. Now, it's not just all about fruitfulness, this chapter. I think the chapter divides pretty much into three sections. The first eight verses... Um, is a section on union with Christ bringing fruitfulness. That's the first section, 1 to 8. Then we have another section, verse 9 to 17, union with Christ bringing friendship. And we'll think about that. That's a really beautiful section. And then finally, from verse number 18 to 27, and this is where it gets really hard for us, um, union with Christ bringing foes. So if in the first section it's union with Christ bringing fruit, fruitfulness, the key word in that section we're going to see is abide. You'll see it in nearly every verse. Um, 
verse number three, um, or verse four, four, abide in me and I in you. Um, neither can you unless you abide in me, verse four. Um, he who abides in me, verse five. He who does not abide in me, verse six. If you abide in me, verse seven. Um, and so on. So, so you can see anyway, central to that first section is this thought, this verb, uh, to abide. That we have to abide in Christ. Then in the second section, the emphasis is on a different word, mainly. It's not so much the word abide, but love. Love. Look at verse number 9. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. Now, the abide word's there, but so is love. And you'll see down the next number of verses, it's the word love that comes up. And we come down to verse 17. These things I command you that you love one another. So, again, he's moved from this idea of abiding to the idea of loving and then finally from verse number 18 to 27 um in this final section again the thought is union with christ and what it means in a practical way and so he'll say the sad thing is verse number 18 if the world hates you you know that it hated me before it hated you and he goes on to explain and examine this idea of the hatred of the world why is it the way it is is it because there's something wrong with us? No, not, not really. We're different. That's one point. But it's not that there's something wrong or hate-worthy in us. In fact, it's because that the world has been opposed to Christ since the beginning. And we'll think a little bit about that towards the end of our study this evening. So, um, as we're looking at it together, let's remember that Union with Christ, the fact that we're united to Christ, we're linked to Christ, we're saved, it brings with it certain things. And if we can understand these, we can, it can help us to be fruitful in this dark world and to enjoy the friendship of the Lord and of each other and also to understand how to deal with the hatred that comes from those who are opposed to Christ, the foes, as it were, that, that we have just because we belong to the Lord Jesus. So so what I'm going to try and do is take each of these three sections and look at them in a little bit more uh, detail. But remember, we've moved out of the upper room, it would seem. We can't tell for definite. But the Lord says, Rice, let us go. And we've taken the steps down, probably these outside uh, steps that you would have got in, in these Middle Eastern houses, down into the, the streets and lanes of, of a, a Jerusalem that hated the Lord Jesus so that he was not safe in the streets. Uh, speaking after the manner of men, and he was heading towards Gethsemane, um, heading outside the city across to Gethsemane. And you'll see by chapter 18, he goes across the brook Kidron and he goes into the garden of Gethsemane. So keep it in mind, there's two sides to Christian witness and Christian fruitfulness and all these things. There's the inside, there's the upper room and there's a street. The upper room, that's where we gain a knowledge of the Lord Jesus, gain a knowledge of how we must be clean, we must have our feet washed, gain an understanding that God's purpose is not going to be put aside by even failure in regard to Judas. Uh, we gain an understanding, chapter 14, that, that he's going away, but he's going away in order that we might be blessed, in order that he might come again for us, uh, so that... The, the Comforter will come and bless us in a particular way so that we might experience the peace that he offers. 
um, all these wonderful, wonderful truths we have found so far in, in, in the upper room. But now the teacher is taking them through the street. And we're going to have to hit where the, go, go where the rubber hits the road here and understand how we can live and be fruitful in a dark, cold world. And that's really where um, this section, I think, comes in. So let's look at it in more detail. Let's read the section together uh, from the whole way through the chapter um, and just commend ourselves to the Lord. First of all, we'll commend ourselves to the Lord. Father, help us as we look into thy word that each one of us, um, we thank thee for the privilege of, of of looking at these these words and we pray that each one of us might be particularly blessed just as we read them again and think about them we thank thee for the study that we had and for the privilege of looking in to each and every verse in the lord's name we ask it amen so verse 1 to 8 union with christ bringing fruitfulness i am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered and they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burnt. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so will you be my disciples. Or so will you prove to be my disciples, I think the yes for you enters on. Okay, so the next section, union with Christ bringing friendship. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy might remain in you, and your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you, no longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you, that you love one another. Final section. Union with Christ bringing foes. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember, the word that I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. But this happened, that the word might be fulfilled which is written in their law, they hated me without a cause. 
But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me, and you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. That's John 15, uh, New King James Version. Okay, so looking at this uh, section in a little more detail, you'll see if you have the handout, um, and the handout is available, hopefully uh, connected with the podcast. Um, if you see the handout, you will notice that it tells us uh, at the beginning that so far the Lord Jesus has used object lessons, the idea of the feet washing and the salt or morsel, and then he's answered questions And now he's moving on to an illustration, a great illustration of the vine to teach a new truth. So they have a purpose now. You see, God has left us here and it's not just to get through until the Lord Jesus comes back again. Uh, There's a very specific purpose for the glory of God that we can do. uh, And that's to bear fruit. Bear fruit for the glory of God. And that's really what's going to be brought out in this illustration, that, that God has a, a task for us in this world. You know, sometimes we think that uh, you know, our life is hard and we're just hanging on there. Um, and, and because of it, uh, we forget the fact is that God allows circumstances to come into our lives in order that we might be more fruitful, more like the Lord Jesus, more honouring to him. Fruitfulness is the expected norm in a believer's life. In fact, being truly and vitally linked to the vine means that the branches are drawing their sap from the vine. The the vital life-giving sap comes from the vine right out to the branches. And we are because we are truly and vitally linked to the Lord Jesus, we can expect that fruitfulness comes out in our life. Now this is important to understand. We're not called upon to just try to put a law in front of ourselves, like in the Old Testament, um, to try and just achieve something through law-keeping. You know, the law didn't save us, and the law doesn't sanctify us. The law didn't give us justification. All it did was bring condemnation. And if we try to use just legal principles and, and, and truths of the Bible and a kind of, and a kind of human effort to achieve um, fruitfulness for God we are going to miss out because really it's all about abiding. It's about appreciating and resting in Christ and just being what we are. God has made us something and we have to be what we are. That's really what's going to come out. Um, If we remember that we've been bought, that we've been brought into Christ and we just abide in him, enjoy him, um, it should lead to fruitfulness in our lives now what kind of fruit are we thinking of here some people at the bible study brought up the fruit of the spirit you'll remember galatians chapter 5 go away and look at them again galatians 5 uh, teaches us about the fruit of the spirit love joy peace long suffering gentleness meekness and so on so on so forth so um there's a ninefold fruit i think it is of the spirit uh, in in galatians chapter 5 and those are the characteristics that mark the lord jesus <coughs> so when we're doing the idea of, when we're looking at the idea of fruitfulness, I think it's important that we remember that that is often what the Lord is looking for in our lives. Now, let's come to the section itself. We're going to try and look at it very briefly and, and, and hopefully have some blessing from it. 
I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. How is Christ the true vine? We looked at this and some brought out the thought that, you know, he's not false, like false prophets and so on. Um, another thought can be is the fact that because it's speaking about a vine, it speaks about the true vine, like the true bread and the true bread that comes down from God. Or, or the true light, he's the true light that comes into the world, that there can be the thought of that he is the the, the archetypical or the, 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 the everything that, that that other bread or whatever is looking forward to, or everything that the light really is truly representing. I am the true vine. He is everything. That The vine, in a sense, is the type. And Christ is the antitype. I am the true vine. Now Israel was a vine in the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 5. A vine that was placed on a fruitful hill and surrounded and blessed. It was to bring forth fruit for God. And yet it only brought wild grapes. There was no nothing to bring joy to the heart of God and man. You know, It says about vines and, and the grapes of the vine. That, that really the idea behind it is. Is the thought of joy and bringing joy to both God and man. And so here we have the Lord Jesus. He's the one who fully brought joy to his father um, personally. But now we're going to see by our union with him, we are part of the vine now. And we can bring joy to the father. My father is the vine dresser now. The vine dresser's job is never finished. Every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So um, this is the picture that's being developed. That, that the Father is working, as it were, to on every branch in the true vine. Now, he says every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Now, I take it that looks back on, on John chapter 13. Um, every true believer, every believer that is linked vitally to the vine will bring forth some fruit. In fact, um, <clears throat> I think um, I think it's important to understand that. Um, there's a sense in which um, we, we could have, uh, I think I have on the first page there, two kinds of connection with Christ as the vine. There can be the mere cosmetic, which bears no fruit, and the spiritual and vital, which bears fruit. And, and so those that bear no fruit at all show no inner life, no true eternal life. And that was the case with Judas. Uh, and so what happened in chapter 13, I take it, is that Judas, in that sense, was was taken away. Taken away from that company. Um, now he walked away, I know that. He didn't do it. Um, without his own will being involved but there's another sense in which God moved I take it and got rid of him so you'll find a very similar thing when you come to First John John brings this out again they went out from us because they were not of us if they had been of us they would no doubt have continued with us but now they have gone out to show that none of them are, are of us in other words these false teachers that have been among the Christians when they moved out it was just an evidence that they didn't have the same life link to Christ. Uh, and so it is here, I think, what he's saying, first of all, is that any branches that don't bear any fruit, he takes away. If there's no fruit... Now, he's not speaking about the, the amount of fruit, the quantity of fruit here. 
He's speaking about the fact of fruit. Uh, and every true believer has some fruit in their life of um uh, of 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 the reality of being linked to Christ. Now, if there's no fruit at all ever in a person's life, there is no way in which we should really be holding them out as as thinking that they have pref- true true life and so on. But of course, we know the Lord knows them that are His and and what fruit there is there. Now, notice the other thing that He does. Not only does He cut off, He cleanses, and every branch that bears fruit, He prunes it. Or he cleanses it. It's an interesting word. It's a word that we're going to see is linked to the word in verse 3. You're already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. You'll remember back in chapter uh, 13, this very word was used. uh, You're not all clean. When Judas was among them, they were not all clean. And yet the Lord came with the water and and, and he cleansed their feet. But he said, you're not all clean. And then Judas went out. And and now you'll notice what he's saying. He's saying in verse number three, you're already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. So the cleansing effect of, of the word on them, it, 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 cl- it cleansed them. And, and so they are part of, of these branches that are cleansed and are pruned by the word of God. You know, so God brings the word into our lives and it's to cleanse us, to prune us. He allows circumstances, all these kind of things. And that's the purpose behind it. Then he says, verse 4, abide in me and I in you. He's moving from the picture developed. You'll, you'll see in chapter, uh, verse, page number 1, I should say. Um, the, the picture developed is in the practical abiding is needed for fruitfulness. So, so yes, there will be some fruit in our lives if we're truly belonging to Christ. But if we want to develop that fruit and bear fruit the way God would have it, we must abide in him. Abide in him. Um, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in a vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. You just look at these these branches from, from these vines and and they just they just exist there. They just stay there. They just draw from, from the the life that's there in the vine itself. And that's I think the picture. The idea behind this abiding is making a home or resting or abiding. And so we just have to do that in our Christian life. We have to abide in him. We have to rest in him. We have to enjoy him and and make our home in him and I in you, as he says. And as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in a vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So the Lord is calling us to abide in him to rest in him if we want to be fruitful it involves not striving but finding rest in christ enjoying him appreciating him more and more i am the vine you're the branches verse five he abides in me and i in him bears much fruit notice that now it's not just fruit it's much fruit and verse number two it's more fruit so the pruning process by the father and 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 the abiding of of us in the the Lord is what brings much fruit in our life for without me you can do nothing and so we come to that classic statement that we are frequently quote in prayer and so on and this is why because what we're being called upon is to remember that we draw our life our resources our everything from God and and to lift the psalmist in the old testament he speaks to God and he says all my fresh springs are in you and so we're called upon to abide. 
Then he says in verse 6, If anyone does not abide in me, he's cast out as a branch and is withered. Now, it could be that he's referring back to the branch of, of verse 2. Um, the branch that he takes away. It could be saying, if there's no abiding at all, well, he's cast out and, and, and therefore worthless. Um, and they gather. You notice it's still the picture he's drawing here. They gather them and throw them into the fire and they're burned. The, the only use that you can have of, 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 of vine branches that ha- have no life in them or, or no, uh, are not abiding um, in that sense they're they're just used for the fire, fuel for the fire. Now it could be saying, listen, if there's no abiding, there's evidently no life, and there's only a, a, an awful sticky end. It could be it could be that he's referring to what sadly is the case with Judas, where he goes out and it's night and he's coming under divine judgment eventually. Or it could be that he's just making a more general point that if you don't abide in the Lord, it will shrivel you up in your usefulness. Um, and, and, and you will just end up worthless like the salt that lo- loses its savour nothing can make it salty again and of course um, if you're going to be accurate in your pictures with the salt losing its savour uh, saltiness um, it, it, you have to go back to the type of salt that was being used at that t- those days but I'll leave that for your own investigation but anyway um, coming back to the passage but th- by this my father uh, sorry, verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, will, you will ask what you desire and it will be done for you. So if we're abiding in the Lord, enjoying the Lord, our mind, our thoughts will be taken up with the Lord's will in our lives. And we, we'll, we'll be asking things and God will be doing things and we will see answers to prayer in our lives in a very real sense. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit so will you be my disciples. Or, as ESV has it, so will you prove to be my disciples. That's the words here, the Greek words here, uh, can give that force, and I think that fits it here. It's not that he's saying you have to become a really, 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 really super Christian before you can qualify to be my disciples. I think what he's saying is that you'll prove the reality of being my disciples if you live in this way. So that's union with Christ bringing fruitfulness. Notice the abide. Word. And then the second section, um, union with Christ bringing friendship. Uh, I've said here the key word is love. Um, <clears throat> I, I said one of the questions I asked uh, before the study, um, verse 9, the Lord speaks of abiding in his love. Is it possible to not abide in his love? What do you think? Um, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. I take it it is possible to not abide in this love. Um, or else there would be no real need for the exhortation here. Um, I think that certainly at a practical level, we can often live in a way that we're abiding in this love for a little while and then not really enjoying it the way we should. Um, if we're not honouring him by following his word, keeping his commandments. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Now notice the link here. He, he links it to the fact that he's kept his Father's commandments and abide in his love. What does he mean by abiding in his love? Is it the same as abiding in him? I take it as the next step. You know, if we abide in him, if we rest in him, we'll soon be rejoicing in him. If our resting in him involves us to morally want to live in a way that pleases him we will start to delight in him if we if we 
um, depend on him, we will delight in him. If you want to make that slight distinction between abiding in him and abiding in his love. I think what he's saying now, he's saying, listen, I abide in my father's love. In other words, he delights in his father. He, you think of all the times in John's gospel where there's reference it, uh, to the father. He says, I'm here to do my father's will. Um, my meat is to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work. Uh, the father loves the son. He says that on several occasions. Um, uh, he's just said at the end of the chapter before um, I, I, that the world may know that I love the Father. And he's delighting in the love of the Father. Why is he doing that? He's subject to the Father's command, commandments. And he says, listen, if you want to live your life enjoying the Father's, uh, the Father's love and, and my love, keep my commandments. Live in the good of them. This is a relationship that is mutual, enjoying uh, but he is still the Lord and we're going to see that this is a friendship but he retains his prerogatives as the Lord in that friendship these things have I spoken unto you verse 11 that my joy might remain in you notice he's moved from my love to my commandments to my joy it's like a domino effect that we're seeing here um, these things have I spoken to you that my joy might remain in you and your joy might be full this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you Greater love is no one than this, than for one to lay down his life for his friends. Now, you'll notice if you go back to page one uh, of the handout, my love, my joy, my commandment, my friends, my chosen ones, there's a domino effect. If I'm abiding in the Lord, I'm abiding in his love, I'm enjoying him, my joy, his very joy becomes part of me and and. and our joy by extension is therefore my joy by extension is full. And then I appreciate the friendship of the Lord. So verse 9 and 10 is love. Verse 11 his joy. Verse 12 to 17 his friendship. Um, greater love has no one than this than, a, than one to lay down his life for his friends. And then he says you are my friends. Uh, Derek brought this out nicely. You know, the Lord as, as, as the one who is the true friend, the one who truly exhibited his love, who laid down his life. You are my friends. However, you notice his stipulation on it, if you do whatever I command you. Now, does that mean that he is not our friend? Of course, he's a friend of publicans and sinners. He is our friend, okay? But if we want to enter into the good of that friendship, we have to be willing to do what he commands. He is still the Lord. He is still our master. He is still our teacher, even though he is calling us into friendship with him. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all the things I have heard from my father I have made known to you. In other words, you're not a different level of knowledge. The subject of, of knowing is a lovely subject throughout scripture. Uh, the fact that we have been called into this deeper knowledge. Um, and, and, and now we're no longer looked upon as kind of slaves or, or household servants, whatever it is. Um, we're, we're being brought to his table. Obviously that's the scene in the upper room originally, isn't it? That he, They're gathered around him and he is telling them things. And we are now entering into the good of fellowship and friendship with the Lord himself. All things I've heard from my Father have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you and may go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, and that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. Now, there is a sense in which this is linked very definitely to the apostles. 
He's writing to the, he's speaking to the apostles, but by extension we can take it for ourselves. We have been chosen. We have been uh, appointed to bear fruit, uh, and and it's not so much that the Father is looking for fruit or the Father is going to be glorified now, but the Lord's is is commanding. Uh, he is he is he is purposing. You should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain. That that it won't be a. It might seem that we do things and they don't seem to last, and they don't seem. But as far as God is concerned, they remain. Um, there, there's an eternal aspect to the fruit that we do glean. If you 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 change, if your life becomes more like Christ, your 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 character is conformed to Christ. Then you're more and more. Um, you have more and more fruit that has eternal significance. These things I command you that you love one another. You notice again he ends this section with um, the idea of asking the Father in my name he may give you. So both these sections, there's the thought here of, of answers to prayer um, and so on. Right, we, we go into the last section uh, <clears throat> just for a brief uh, final study. Um, um, verse 18 to 27 if the world hate you you will know that it hated me before it hated you now notice he's going to explain this hatred it's important that we understand that we can be hated and it's not to do necessarily with us now I mean we can make ourselves obnoxious and, and therefore can have the ire and anger of the world as a result of being obnoxious but that's a different thing here's the thought of, of the world hating you and hating us. Why? Well, it's got a long legacy, this hate. Our hatred is because we are united to Christ. Verse 18 to 21. That's the first thing he's going to say. It hated me before it hated you. I was the, the first one that hated in that sense. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. You're different. That's another reason. Whether you like it or not, um, there's a sense in which um, those who are from a foreign country, they come to a different country, they can expect a wee bit of a cold shoulder, uh, they can expect, why? Because they're different. They're different. And that's a sad world in which we live, where not everybody is included. They're looked upon as different. And you will be looked upon as different. You're having a conversation with someone, and, and you know, everybody seems fine and hunky-dory, and then you mention the fact you're a Christian, and there's just a kind of coldness comes in. Sometimes it can go worse than that. I mean, people have lost their job because of their hatred. In different parts of the world, people have lost their lives because of this hatred. Um, verse 20, Remember the word I say to you, my ser a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. We have got to remember, we're walking after our our, our, our saviour. We are still his servant, he is still the master. Notice, we are in this servant relationship still down here, even though it says a few verses back that we're not no longer servants in another sense, we're friends. But we're still servants and we still follow him as our master in that sense. If they've kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake because they do not know him who sent me. So in other words, it's because of your link to me. So that's verse 18 to 20. 22 to 25. Hatred because of rejection of father and son. Now, notice this. It's not just their hatred and rejection of the Son, but also of the Father. Now, this is significant, I think, because we're dealing with a Jewish audience who say they love God, who, who knew that the first commandment was to love God, um, and so on. But they didn't just hate the Lord Jesus, the one sent from God. They hated by extension the Father uh, who had sent him. So, verse 22 
to you. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. Notice that. Verse number 24. Um, if I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would, ha they, they would have no sin. Now, you'll see both of those occasions. It's not saying that there was no sin in their lives already. It's just that that sin is now exposed. You see, as a Christian, when you live among people, just by your life, the more you're like Christ, the more fruitfulness there is, the more you will expose people's sinful character. And that was true when the Lord was here. Uh, the hatred was because of the rejection of the Father and the Son. His word, they rejected his word. He'd come and spoken to them. and Their sin was exposed. They had no excuse for their sin. Now, verse 22. They hated me. Uh, the person who hated me <clears throat> I'm sorry, verse 23. He who hates me, hates my father also. And then, if I had not done among them the works no one else did, they had no sin. But now they have seen both hated me and my father. <clears throat> but it has happened that the word might be fulfilled, which was written in their law. They hated me without a cause. So it's not that they <clears throat> they didn't have any cause. They thought they had envy, for instance. For envy, they delivered him. Um, because their sin was exposed, it's saying here. But they had no just cause, they had no righteous cause, they had no real cause of hatred, just their animosity towards God. Well, I'm coming to the end of my throat, which is probably good because we're coming to the end of the podcast. Verse 26 to 28, there's now a double witness still here. How wonderful that even in the midst of, of, of the potential coldness of the world around us, there's a double witness of the spirit of truth and the disciples of Christ. I'll just read it and leave it with you to think about. But when the Helper comes, or the Comforter comes, whom I shall send from the Father, the Spirit of Truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. He will witness of me. And you will also bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. Now, that had a particular reference to the Apostles. They had been with him from the beginning. But by extension, here we are, in companionship, in partnership, with the Spirit of Truth, to witness for the Lord in this world to bring forth fruit for the Father and for the Son. How wonderful the whole Trinity involved in our lives uh, in witness. May the Lord bless this uh, hurried study as usual. usual I've, I've, I've kind of brushed through. You do know that you can if you want to listen to something a bit quicker you can press your little function on, on your podcast and, and move it up to one and a half times speed or whatever it is um, you want to listen to me at, I'll get you through the information a little bit quicker. But there we go, 38 minutes and 53 seconds, and I'm signing off. Thank you, God bless. <laughs>